unsolved crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 95. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses now that it is springtime. Yay, we missed so much time. We did. Sorry. Listen, it wasn't because we didn't like you. It was because we didn't like ourselves. Wow, that was um, a bit too on the nose and kind of depressing. <laughs> oh my god. What are you talking about today? I will be talking about the Elizabeth Smart case. Just a disclaimer, it does involve child abuse, but I won't be delving into it. Fair enough. You? I'm talking about the ongoing case of Sherry Papini, which is honestly absolutely wild. Mm. I'm really excited to talk about it. I've been following it for a while now. I heard a short summary of it. A few months ago, I was going to cover it. I know, I was so mad. You hit me with the roundhouse kick of, I'm going to be covering it. And I had a little cry. Wait, why? You did? No. Good. Uh, but I also don't remember anything because I have the memory of a sieve. That's so, what I bet on when I write these. Yeah. Is I hope that you just delete it from your memory. I'm excited to learn. Good. Would you like to hear the news I have for you? I would love to. Okay. <clears throat> this is strange news from the Daily Record. The UK government, during Margaret Thatcher's reign, was trying to use dolphins to track down the Loch Ness Monster. I love that. This claim comes from some reports from classified documents that were brought to light 20 years ago. So in 1979, ministers had been involved with a secret plan to acquire some trained American dolphins and put some high-tech equipment on them and release them into Loch Ness in hopes to find Nessie and solve the mystery. What equipment? Why are they American? Could we not... Do we... Wait, we don't have dolphins here, do we? Yeah, we do. We have them, like, sort of local. We could get them. Why are we importing dolphins? Because they want trained ones. We don't have any trained dolphins, do we? Can someone not train it? How long does it take to train a dolphin? Yeah, but if you've already got... Aren't they mad smart? If you've already got them in America, you might as well just bring them over on their ollibobs. How do you transport a fish... Well, it's like a, it's not fish, but like, how do you transport a, big, a sea? Big tank. On a boat? Report. Fake sea on the sea. Or do we ship them, like, cargo? Like an airplane? Well, a small fish, I know what you would yeah. do with that. Yeah. But um, uh, a dolphin. How you would know, you? I'm really unsure. If you have ever transported a dolphin, please let us know how you did that. How do you go through customs with two highly trained American dolphins? Well, I'm less bothered about customs and more... Dolphins have to breathe air as well, right? So yeah. you couldn't just put them in a water box. No. You wouldn't... I mean, all fish need some kind of air, don't they? Not all of them. Most of them. Some of them. Am I stupid? Yeah, but some of them only need, like... Like, you could leave, like, this much air at the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't like, need bountiful amounts of air, but... Dolphins are big and they like breathe a lot. Same. <laughs> yeah, where would you Maybe put that? Maybe I'm a dolphin. Am I a dolphin? <laughs> anyway, the plan was to prove that the monster existed in hopes of improving tourism. In that feels like a pathetic reason. See, this confused me because the tourism in Loch Ness is huge because everyone wants to be the one to find the monster. Was it huge in 1979? Probably. 
Fair. Up, you hear there might be a monster in this lake, and you don't want to be the one to find it. That is true. I feel like maybe before, um, like, the internet was like you know, giving everyone cryptozoology information, maybe it'd be more interesting to go and see it for yourself. Maybe that was wrong though. I wasn't here in 1979. No, if you were here in 1979 and you remember the government's attitude towards Loch Ness, then please let us know. If you remember the government's attitude towards Loch Ness and you've been on a boat with a dolphin, we want to have you on the show. <laughs> if you have done all of those things, are you a trained American dolphin? I would love to have a trained American dolphin <laughs> on the show. I would actually do horrid things to get that. Horrid? <laughs> My goodness. No one asked what it is that she's willing to do for a trained American dolphin to be on the show. Obviously, um... The trained American dolphins plan did not go through, uh, or if it did, it was so covert that no one even noticed that there were trained American dolphins being shipped over from America. And then put it in the, and, the, a and lake. And just dropped in a lake. <laughs> the Would they even them? be fine? No. No, they Aren't wouldn't. dolphins salt water? You could rub some salt on them. Stop it. Stop it. You give Look. them like a salt cube. You know, like runners take? Yeah. Um, probably not. Maybe that's why it didn't happen. Also because someone looked at it and went, this is stupid. I like to believe that Margaret Thatcher herself came up with that idea and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, maybe. And then in America they were like, are you literally the dumbest <laughs> person to have grace the earth? What are we going to do? Rub salt on these dolphins? And she was like, yeah. Marinate them. Could do. Beforehand. Yeah. Leave them for 24 hours in salt. <laughs> and then... We'll drop them in the lake. They'll be so happy to be back in water. They won't even know. I'm going to go on to our story now because I feel like we're going to talk about dolphins for too long. And I want to talk about okay. kidnapping. Yeah, please. Or is it a kidnapping? Ooh. So this story is absolutely wild. As I said, um, I want to talk about it for a while. I've been following it since 2016. Had you heard of it back then? No, I literally heard of it like two months ago. If you'd have been quicker on the uptake of this, I would never have heard of it. Well, I was going to, but then we took a hiatus. Um, basically, it's Gone Girl, but real life. So first up, here are my sources for the research. ABC, Ranker, Wikipedia, E-Insider, Sportskeeda, Reading.com, Destructify, Giro7, and The Guardian. Okay, so a little bit of backstory on Sherry. She was born on June 11th, 1982, in California. In 2009, she married a man named Keith Papini, who worked in Best Buy as an audiovisual specialist, mm -hmm. I believe. The couple had two kids together, and they were young at the time of this incident. They were called Tyler and Violet, or I suppose they still are, and they were two and four at this point. From the outside, they seemed like the perfect family, and the neighbours and her family even referred to her as Supermom. Part of Sherry's routine was to go on jogs in her neighbourhood, something I often think about and never do. <laughs> on this particular day, November 2nd, 2016, Keith was in work, as usual, and Cheryl was supposed to pick the kids up from daycare. You sounded like such an aggressive, like, stay-at-home mum. Keith was at work, as usual, and I was picking the kids up. I just mean, that's the regular routine. <laughs> he said he would come home and, like, his family would be like, Dad, and they would all, like, run to him. You know, like, wholesome family stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that day, he went home around 5pm, and the house was completely empty. So obviously, he was calling everyone. He called the daycare to be like, what time did Cherry pick up the kids? And they were like, she never came to pick up the kids. Cherry had texted him that morning asking if he would be coming home for lunch, but he didn't see it till like half one or something, so he didn't reply until way later. 
but nothing about the morning seemed suspicious or weird or anything. So he tried to get in touch with Sherry several times, but she didn't pick up any of his calls. So he used the Find My iPhone app, which I use every day just to see where you are oh, for yeah. no reason. Yeah, I always do it. When I come home and you're not here, I'm like, she's been stolen. Yeah, and, and I'm you're just, just like in Costa. In Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> so he used that app, and to his horror, he found it at her phone at an intersection about a mile away, just on the floor, with her earbuds still attached to it, and some of her hair was tangled up in the earbuds. So he was like, oh my God, something's gone horribly wrong. Obviously, he called the police and reported her missing, and the next day, the county sheriff's office sent out rescue teams to investigate the whole area. So obviously, Keith was a bit suspicious. It seemed kind of suspicious because in lots of these cases, the husband has done something horrible Mm. or, you know, knows something, I suppose. But he passed a polygraph test and he did a bunch of public appearances, you know, pleading for his wife's safe return and... He even set up a GoFundMe to help him afford two private investigators. And the police didn't really like this idea, but they were just like, we can't stop you. So, yeah. you know, we just won't get involved. We'll just do our own searches. And this racked up nearly $50,000. It stayed open after she was found later. Spoiler. But yeah, $50,000. And we don't know what they did with that money. As a side note. In addition to this, a random anonymous donor offered up $50,000 as like a reverse ransom. So if the kidnapper brought Cherry back, they would get $50,000. And then no one came forward, so they upped it. But still, nobody came forward. However, it was only three weeks later on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 2016, that Cherry was found alive. So they found her on the side of a rural road, around 150 miles from her house, in very poor condition. She'd lost a bunch of weight. She had bruises and rashes all over her body and her face. She used to have like really long blonde hair mm-hmm. and it was cut really short. And she was bound with like chains around her wrist and her waist. Her nose was swollen and she'd been branded on her shoulder. Oh my goodness. But they couldn't read what it said. So she was able, I think she had like a, a sack over her head, like a bag. And she was able to take it off and like wave down a car. Um, and then the driver contacted the police and was like, there's a woman just on the side of the road, Yeah, you know, help her. And then they obviously went and got her and took her to the hospital for physical examination. Her clothes were taken as evidence and she was questioned by the police, but she wouldn't like talk to them because she said that a cop was involved in her kidnapping. So she didn't trust them. Right. Also, they did find evidence of male DNA on her pants, which wasn't her husband's, but they couldn't match it to anybody mm. at this point. Mm-hmm. They asked Cherry if she'd been abused by any men during her captivity, and she said no, which confused them all. She said that she'd been kidnapped by two Hispanic women, and obviously a police officer was involved somewhat. But she did agree to speak with Keith privately, which is how they found out this information. So they gave him a recorder, and they went into like a room, um, and she kind of gave her side of the story. She said that she'd been taken this day, by these Hispanic women at gunpoint as she left for a jog like she usually would. Mm -hmm. And she was taken to a room where they chained her inside of a closet and she was forced to use a bucket with cat litter in it for a toilet. She said that they wore bandanas throughout her entire time there so she couldn't identify them properly. And she was obviously treated horribly with the women even mocking her about how no one would ever find her because everyone thought she ran away. And also the person who wanted to buy her was a cop so they wouldn't ever find who did it. where she went in the end. Right, I'm with you. They cut her hair short and deprived her of food and even made her wear an adult diaper with daily beatings and abuse. 
Wait, so they were trying to sell her? Allegedly. Surely you'd take slightly better care of someone that you wanted to sell. I don't know. I don't sell people. Unless they'd already bought her. I can't remember which part it was, because obviously this isn't the most in-depth thing I could possibly give you, because there were infinite amount of sources and where this is changing constantly. Yeah. It's hard to find, like, things from the time and not just from now. all the now stuff in yeah. the court case. Yeah. Um, but there was something where they had said to her that that's what the buyer liked. Maybe it was her weight loss or her hair or something. Oh, right. So that's what they were doing. She could give detailed descriptions of the the kidnappers' faces kind of above the the mask that mm-hmm. they were wearing. Like the it was like a, a bandana, so just above the nose. And eventually these were circulated to the media and a witch hunt began for these women. So obviously the Mexican community was under a lot of fire at this time because yeah. of this. Because women who fit this description, which was an extremely vague description. Yeah, it's just nose and eyes, really. Were just avoiding white people altogether if there were no witnesses around in case they were accused of something. Yeah. And this was made worse because Sherry described what her captors were like and saying that when they did feed her, it was leftover tortillas and beans. They only spoke in Spanish and they would constantly play, quote, annoying Mexican music. So that kind of fueled everything a bit worse. She described in detail the feeling of the branding and then described how the abductors simply dropped her off at the side of the road for some reason. So there was two women. One of them was older and was like meaner. And then there was a younger one. And apparently the younger one drove her out and left her in the side of the road. Right. And that's when she was able to flag down the car. It was 22 days at this point. As police continued to look for her captors, Sherry tried to settle back into normal life and the state provided her with over $30,000 worth of healthcare for her physical and mental health, Mm -hmm. you know, to help her deal with injuries and trauma. Yeah. Because her um, therapist diagnosed her with PTSD. Of course, you know, you kind of expect that. Yeah. Keith continued to do public appearances and thank the public for the support of helping find his wife. And he shot down any rumours that, like, he was involved or it was staged because rumours had kind of started to circulate at this point about whether she kind of faked it or he was involved or something because... It was kind of odd that she was only taken for three weeks and then just left. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could explain it as, like, the sale fell through and they didn't want to have to dispose of her. But you wouldn't run... I mean, you'd presume that a kidnapper wouldn't run the risk of just dropping off all of the evidence in a neat little package on the side of the road. Well, you'd think so, right? But also, I think, regardless of the incident or like the the case i suppose people are going to speculate things anyway yeah oh there's conspiracy theories about everything isn't there exactly and i feel like this is just one of those or it was at the time regardless Mm -hmm. of everything else and then that just made it worse because everyone was like why would you just be taken for 22 days and then dropped off on the side of the road like seems kind of weird but yeah as i said i'm not involved in any kidnappings so i couldn't tell you i'm not a kidnapper i can't reason that sounds like something a kidnapper would say to be honest but (laughs) Also, they'd raised a lot of money from this because she had the the money for the injuries and stuff mm-hmm. and they had the GoFundMe. So at this point, they had like $70,000 that they'd been given by the public right. and by the government. So that was kind of a bit suspicious and she'd just shown up and now they could get all this money, you know? Yeah. But Keith was like, these theories are disgusting. I'm shocked people would even consider this. You know, if you'd come into the hospital and seen my wife covered in burns and bruises and chain markings, you would feel differently because that's what I saw, which yeah. is obviously pretty horrific, I imagine. Yeah. 
And to be fair, Keith didn't know any better because he really believed his wife's story. Because why wouldn't he? It's his wife. Yeah, you're not going to doubt that. If you see someone in hospital with those injuries, you're not going to be like, maybe she was just bored of me. You're Especially be like, your she wife. She was kidnapped. Yeah. And why would anyone go through this much effort to fake their own kidnapping? Except she did. So it wasn't until three years later in 2019 that investigators were able to match the DNA on her pants to her ex-boyfriend. <gasps> the drama. So for the three weeks Sherry was missing, you know, when she was using the cat little toilet bucket and stuff, she mm. was actually just staying with her ex, who was under the impression that he was helping her escape from her abusive husband. So to be clear, there's no evidence that Keith was ever abusive towards Sherry or anyone else, but this was her story to him. And her ex-boyfriend had known Sherry since she was a teenager. And she had like contacted them out of the blue because she saw photos of them together or she had, she found like something that was his, that was in like her, her mom's house or something. And she was like, oh yeah, I remember this guy. Um, so she'd contacted him and he was like, yeah, we can be friends. You know, and they texted and stuff, but then it kind of blossomed into a secret relationship and they got like burner phones to avoid getting caught by everyone. So a plan was put in place for her ex to pick Sherry up in a rented car and she like hid in the back seat, you know, laid down. They only stopped twice, one for petrol and one for coffee. They got to his house at the end of the journey and she was just quiet the whole drive. She didn't mention that she was concerned for her kids, but like that was kind of it. Then they got to his house and she just stayed inside the home the entire time. So she boarded up the window in the, in the room that she was sleeping in so that it would be darker for her. Presumably so it seemed like she'd been kept in a dark room. I couldn't think of any other reason. I mean, also because... You know, you don't want people to see you, but apparently she'd said to him she wanted to be really dark. So I would assume that was the reason. Well, you don't really want to come back from a, a, a fake kidnapping with a tan, do you? It is, that is true. <laughs> and while she hung out, you know, on her own for a fair bit, they, do, they did spend quite a lot of time together and they ate together. Although she was only eating small amounts because she wanted to lose some weight while she was there to make it seem more authentic. He came in one day from work because he was going out about his, his own daily routine, like as normal, you know, because obviously you don't want to be weird about it. Yeah. She cut her own hair off when he'd got home. She started injuring herself. Occasionally she would say like, oh, can you injure me kind of thing. He didn't really understand why he was being asked to do this, but he wanted to help her and be supportive. And he was the one who branded her with the wood burning tool from Hobby Lobby upon her request. Like she'd asked him to do this. And it was like a, a part from the Bible. Oh my God. After three weeks of staying at his house, she just decided that she missed her kids too much. And she was like, could you just drop me off on the side of the road and I'll just, I'll just deal with this. I'll just Yeah. And while they were in the car, she put the chains on herself and then he just dropped her off at the side of the road in the rented car again. And she just flagged down a thing. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Could you imagine? You're just trying to hook up with like your high school sweetheart, and they're like, "Can she you brand me? In Leave me on the side of the road. I'm chaining myself and putting a hood on." Yeah. So then she had made up this whole thing about these Hispanic women, this these kidnappers. Like, obviously, this was all false. She and it was like a it was an elaborate story. Well, you yeah. Know, with with all of, she gave she sketches of these women that do not exist. Like that's. Insane. This is years later that they'd actually discovered this. So obviously the police went up to Sherry and were like, um, Hun, well, will you fake this? And she was like, no. And they were like, we have sufficient evidence that you faked this kidnapping. 
And if you lie to us any further, because we're the FBI, that's also a crime. And she was like, no, I was actually kidnapped. So then on March 3rd of this year, 2022, Sherry was arrested by the FBI for faking a kidnapping, lying to federal agents and mail fraud because she was cashing in all of these checks for her trauma that she didn't have. I mean, you know, she probably needs some kind of mental support, but but like... Oh my God. Yeah, $30,000 in PTSD stuff that would have went to another victim that was actually a victim of something and she'd been cashing it. So... That's kind of where we're up to. So earlier this month, her attorney released a statement where Sherry said she was ashamed of her actions and she apologized for hurting everybody. Um, and her husband just filed for divorce, like very recently, like, you know, within the last few weeks and is aiming to get sole custody of their kids. Well, good. And Sherry just pled guilty a few days ago. And because this is an ongoing case, she's next due in court on the 29th, which is in two days. Oh my god. And it's possible she could get some heavy prison time. Well, because yeah. or unlike huge fines, because this is obviously a pretty big crime and there are several crimes intertwined in the one crime. Oh my god. Yeah. I remember when this happened and everyone was like, This is a bit fishy, but like no one I don't think anyone really thought she'd go to that length when they found her in that condition. Because that's like a lot of thinking and planning to acquire all of the items to do that and to go through with it and the mental like discipline you need to injure yourself is literally gone girl. in that way has she read gone girl she must have she must have she must and have. then went to her exes and he was like um okay if this is what you need literally the plot of gone girl that's why i wanted to tell you it because you love gone girl. i do love gone and girl. i just read it this year it's a brilliant book yeah i've not we've not seen the movie we'll watch it but, yeah, it's literally the exact same plot. Like, oh, my <laughs> I don't know whether she got inspo and was like, wow, that's a great idea. Or what? It's like, wow, that really worked out well. I hope I'll someone mentions that. that in court. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. Thank you. I wonder if, like, she changed her mind when she went there. And or what, did she just do it for the money? Like, I would, I'm, happy, I'm excited to know what happens with this because I'm so curious. She probably just got bored of getting away with it. You think? Yeah, she probably didn't want to be living in a dark room anymore, not eating anything. That's true. You know what I mean? And, like, if she was doing all of that to herself, obviously the plan was to go back. Oh, yeah. So. I just wonder how long she intended to keep it up for, or she was just like, I fancy a bit of a holiday. I'm going to go live in my ex's bedroom. That is absolutely crazy, Ab. Yeah. I just couldn't believe... And she went to such intense lengths with this story. You know, like, here are these women, this is what I had to do. They beat me and they mocked me and a cop was going to buy me and they branded me and she was just in her ex's house. She was just chilling. Eating a pizza with him. What? Yeah. So I thought you would like that story. Because you. you love Gone Girl. I and, uh, do. This happened, for real. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I'm not going to do a scare scale because it doesn't feel appropriate for yours. But yeah, no. <clears throat> pretty whack. Wow. Love that. Any final thoughts? I love that case. It is so interesting. It's so interesting, right? That poor ex and also the poor man. Yeah, he thought he literally, he did so many um, like appearances and people the whole time were like thinking that he was involved. And even afterwards, you know, they thought he was involved and he was like, I honestly, I just worried my my wife wife is missing. Like, please help me. You know, they have like a normal family life. Yeah, she'd just like gone off. She just, the rails. Yeah. Wow. Just absolutely exited sanity. Fabulous. Love that. 
Well, if you like the podcast and you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Myths Magic Pod. And you can also head over to patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder if you want to get some exclusive content and join our little spooky club. Over on Patreon, you can pay as much or as little a month as you'd like. And like Abby says, it is like a little spooky club. We ask you guys questions, what you want to see, what you want to hear, etc, etc. We also do video content over on Patreon so you can see our beautiful smiling faces. And we have a coffee and a chat before every single episode. I think this week's one was like 15 minutes because we were just filling you guys talking in. Talking about turtles. Yeah, to- <laughs> talking about... This has been a very sea-themed episode, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Yeah, well... So yeah, that's all over on Patreon, and you get 10% off of our merchandise, which you can view over on mythsmagicandmurder.com. Also on our website, we've got a little referrals, submissions thing, so if you want to let us know something that's happened to you, something that's happened to someone that you know, or a story that you want us to cover, that'd be great. And if you have any haunted happenings, terrifying tales, or spooky stories, you can email us on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. Awesome. Tell me about your case. I will. Which is a real case, right? It's it like is, actually yeah. a sad story, yeah, yeah, and not yeah. just Gone Girl Part 2. It is, but there is a good end. So uh, this is the case of Elizabeth Smart. My sources are Wikipedia, various pages from Wikipedia. Wikipedia was the main thing because I just there were so many different tabs on everything about this case. Biography.com, Soapboxy.com and CrimeMuseum.org. Elizabeth Ann Smart was born on the 3rd of November back in 1987 in Salt Lake City, Utah, or as Abby likes to call it, Utah. Her parents were... Did you plan for me to say that? I or did. did you write it? I'd planned, I'd, I'd, I'd written it, but I was like, Abby's going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her parents were Ed Smart, who was a real estate developer, and Lois Smart, a homemaker. She was the second eldest out of four brothers and one sister. The family was described as happy and close, and often frequented the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church. Elizabeth was a gifted child with the harp, which she'd played since she was five years old. She was described as kind... That is so impressive. I know. For a five-year-old to be playing the harp. I know. Wow. I know. It's crazy. She was described as kind, smart, shy, and obedient. In addition to this, she was a skilled horse rider and cross-country runner. And on the 4th of June 2002, Elizabeth and her family went to an end-of-year school assembly where she won multiple awards for academics and physical fitness. Good for her. She was also supposed to play the harp, but they'd turned up late. Ah. So she missed it. No. Yeah. The very next morning, at about 1am, 14-year-old Elizabeth Smart was stolen from her bed. She was the only child that was taken, which is surprising, considering Elizabeth shared a bedroom with her sister Mary Catherine, who was nine at the time. Mary Catherine was awakened to a man's voice in her room, saying for Elizabeth to be quiet or he would kill her family if she didn't comply. Of course, the nine-year-old pretended to be asleep. She allowed herself one look at the mysterious person... And then Elizabeth was escorted out of the room. Mary Catherine tried to sneak to her parents' room as soon as they'd left to let them know what had happened. Yeah. However, Elizabeth and the kidnapper were still in the hallway. So Mary Catherine was dangerously close to being captured herself. Goodness. After this, she went back to bed and pretended to be asleep for up to two hours until she was sure the intruder had left. Then she told her parents what had happened. Apparently, both of her parents just thought she was having a bad dream. Oh my gosh. But reality came crashing down when they saw that Elizabeth was gone and a square hole had been cut in the window screen. They immediately went to the police to report what had happened and in Mary Catherine's report she said the following. A white man with dark hair on his head and arms and back of his hands who stood as tall as Charles, who was a brother, who was about five foot eight, 
had threatened Elizabeth with a gun. He was wearing light-coloured clothes and a golf hat, and was very calm and polite. His polite voice was somehow familiar, but Mary Catherine couldn't place him. As Elizabeth was leaving the room, she'd stubbed her toe and said, Ouch! To which the man said, You'd better be quiet and I won't hurt you. Elizabeth had also asked why the man was doing this, but Mary Catherine didn't quite hear the response, but thought that the answer was for ransom. Right. I was going to say, like, he must know her if, if he, he knows, went into, like, her if bedroom one window kid. and found a specific child. Yeah. yeah. So That's the next terrifying. day, on the 6th of June, Elizabeth's parents were on television to plead for the release of their daughter. To no avail, no one came forward with any requests for ransom. A reward was set for her rescue for $250,000. This prompted a regional search effort led by the Laura Recovery Centre, who organised over 2,000 volunteers each day for multiple days and organised dogs and planes to aid in the search. Wow. As well as this, there were hundreds of flyers printed and put online to circulate on social media. Again, nothing turned up. The police were obviously pursuing their own inquiries, but there was little DNA or any other evidence left at the scene. It was at this point that the FBI stepped in to help the police, and everyone was a suspect. Elizabeth's own parents and siblings were questioned by the FBI and asked to do polygraph tests, apparently for as many as seven or eight hours. Wow. Nothing came of those either. I suppose you've got to rule them out. Yeah. Outside of the family, there were a few suspects, one of which was 26-year-old Brett Michael Edmonds. The country was searched for him, and he was soon found at City Hospital in Michaelsburg, West Virginia, but he'd been there long enough to have an alibi, so he was dropped as a suspect in the case. Apart from Brett, there was another suspect, Richard Ritchie. He had been a handyman for the Smart family before and had a criminal record because he'd been arrested for attempted homicide on a police officer. He was charged with theft from this household after police had searched his trailer and found items from the Smart's home. However, Richard maintained throughout that he had nothing to do with the kidnapping. So now it's July 24th and Elizabeth still hasn't been found. How many months has that been? She was taken in June. Wow. Beginning of June. Everything seems to have gone cold, which led people to believe that it was Richard that took her. Mm -hmm. However, this night there's another disturbance, this time at her cousin's house. Stephen Wright, Elizabeth's uncle, woke up to loud banging in his daughter's room. It turns out that his daughter had seen a sharp object coming in and out of her room. When they called the police and they came to investigate, they found that a knife had been cutting out a hole of the window screen oh, no. in the child's bedroom. He knew then. Who? The kidnapper. Knew. He must have knew that, like, that was her cousin, right? Yeah. One month later, on the 30th of August, 2002, Richard Ritchie died of a brain hemorrhage. He maintained that he had not taken Elizabeth, so no one knew where she was. Mm -hmm. This led to police stopping regular briefings with the Smart family in mid-September. It looked like the case was properly cold. That was until the 12th of October, when Mary Catherine finally remembered how she knew the kidnapper's voice. She thought it had belonged to Emmanuel, who had previously done some roof work for the family. Ah. It did take Mary Catherine a while to convince anyone that she did in fact correctly remember it to be this man. Well, she's a kid, isn't she? 
She's a kid. It had been so long since the kidnapping. She'd only heard the man's voice for a short amount of time. Emmanuel had only done work for the family for like two days. Sometimes it just like comes to you. Yeah, sometimes it just clicks. However, in February 2003, the family released a sketch of Emmanuel to the public in hopes that someone would recognise him and turn turn him in for questioning. This happened 13 days afterwards, on February 16th. So Emmanuel was in fact Brian David Mitchell, and his parents thought that the sketch looked just like their son, so they got in touch with the police and provided photographs of Brian, which the Smart family recognised as the man that they briefly employed. Oh. The only problem Good was... on them for snitching on their son. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do that. Oh, yeah. 100%. If yeah. you at all think that anything is your child... Uh, yeah. Throw I don't to understand walls. people just, like, stick up for them, and it's no. like, you don't know. <laughs> the only problem was that no one knew where Brian was. Finally, Brian was found on March 12th, 2003. He was spotted with a woman and a girl. The girl was dressed in a grey wig, sunglasses and veil. And when the police officers arrived at the location, Elizabeth Smart was recognised and finally rescued. Wow. So that she was found in March. She was taken the June before. What is that, like almost a whole year? It's like nine months. Wow. Brian Mitchell was with Wanda Barzi and the pair had been involved in stealing Elizabeth from her bed and holding her captive captive for months. Brian had shown signs of being troubled throughout his life, being described as having a strange obsession with sex and pornography, and when he was 16, he'd exposed himself to a child and was therefore sent to juvie. Interesting. He had problems with drugs and alcohol in his adult life, and his second wife, Debbie, reported that he was abusive towards her while they were together, and that he'd sexually abused their three-year-old son. Throughout his life, Brian had been religious, getting involved in different communes, but it wasn't until he married Wanda in 1984 that Brian started saying he was a prophet of God who had visions and started to go by the name Emmanuel. Right, I see. At this point, Wanda got in on it and started going by Hefzibar, and the couple would preach in downtown Salt Lake City, which is actually where um, the Smart family had encountered Brian. The audacity of that. Yeah. Well, Lois, the mum, felt sorry for Emmanuel as he was, um, and said, oh, if you want to come and do, like, a day's work for me, then I'll give you money. I can't imagine the guilt. Yeah. The night that he stole Elizabeth, he was looking for a second wife. Charming. He wasn't wearing light clothes and a golf hat, like Mary Catherine thought. He was dressed in dark clothes and he wasn't wearing a hat. He was also using a knife, not a gun. And as I say, wasn't looking for ransom. He wanted a child wife. The pair then took Elizabeth to the woods. So he went into the house and took Elizabeth and then Wanda met up with them in the woods. Right. They'd set up a camp about four miles away from her family home. Oh my God. Which is where she was kept. The whole time? For a good while. No. She was so close to the family home. Then Wanda washed Elizabeth's feet and told her to change into like a robe. And if she didn't, Brian would physically rip her clothes off. It was shortly after that that Brian performed some sort of wedding ceremony with Elizabeth. And then he raped her, which proved not to be uncommon throughout her, her captivity. Elizabeth was tied to a tree with a metal cable and forced into either starvation or to eat rubbish. And sometimes she was given alcohol or drugs to keep her weak. 
During the time Elizabeth was held captive with Wanda and Brian, she overheard that Brian thought he was a Davidic king who would, and this is a quote, emerge in seven years, be stoned by a mob, lie dead in the streets for three days, and rise up and kill the Antichrist. Okay, so this man obviously has some mental health mental health issues, yeah. right? Like yeah. properly. But what I always find interesting with these cases is that he must have some knowledge that what he's doing is wrong if he's tying her to a tree and trying to keep her weak. Well, also if, you, right? if he's taken her in the middle of the night and been quiet about it and yeah. you know taken a, a like, knife. Obviously, he's delusional to some extent, but he knows that taking a child wife is horribly wrong. Is right? not the correct like, thing to do. Yeah, it's just an interesting like thought, I suppose. Wanda and Brian had been called evil before by Wanda's child. As the couple had fed Wanda's child her own pet rabbit for dinner one night. No. That is evil. Yeah. Surprisingly, they were very mobile with Elizabeth and took her into public on multiple occasions. However, she was always in some form of a disguise. On one occasion, about two months after she'd been kidnapped, Elizabeth was taken to the Salt Lake City Public Library while Wanda and Brian looked up places to relocate outside of Salt Lake City. Another library-goer had phoned the police when they looked into Elizabeth's eyes because they felt like something was wrong. However, when a police detective arrived, Brian said that this was his family and that none of them would remove their headscarves due to religious grounds. Oh, God bless, no. The whole time, Elizabeth said nothing to the police officer because Wanda was gripping her leg under the table and had told her not to say anything. That's terrifying, isn't it? She said that when the officer walked away, she was mad at herself for not taking the chance and that she felt like Hope was walking out the door. No. It's okay, she gets, she gets found. I know, it's, <laughs> it's just okay. so sad, I know isn't it? Is. it? This wasn't the only time that the police had been involved with Brian since he kidnapped Elizabeth. After the three of them moved to San Diego County, which is in California, Brian got in trouble for breaking into a church. But he wasn't recognised from the sketch of Emmanuel. So again, he was Elizabeth was stuck with her captors. Due to issues surrounding whether the pair were fit to stand trial, Wanda wasn't sentenced until November 17th, 2009. Wow, that's a long time. Where she was given 15 years. And Brian wasn't sentenced until May 25th, 2011. Wow! Where he was given two life sentences in federal prison. Good. Wanda was released on September 19th, 2018. Oh, come on after only serving nine of her 15-year sentence. However, she has been put on the sex offenders register, but this doesn't stop her living near an elementary school in Salt Lake City. Oh my God, as but if. As long as she doesn't go on school property. Yeah, as long, what if she just goes there without anyone noticing her? That's stupid. Brian is still in prison. Well, that's good at least. Elizabeth was a main factor, like after you know she'd recovered and yeah. you know she was a main factor in the changeover from the rachel alert to the amber alert and founded the, the elizabeth smith elizabeth smart foundation which aims to bring hope and end the victimization and exploitation of sexual assault through prevention recovery and advocacy good she also has her own book elizabeth smart my story and has been the executive producer of the lifetime movie stolen by their father as well as being involved in hearings for new legislation and commenting on other missing persons cases. That's wonderful. Yeah. So how did they find her? They literally 
someone had cross-referenced the the parents had cross-referenced that photo and they with brian oh right and then brian was seen due to the update of photos they just found found them right they just saw them yeah and then the police went and they were like mm, i don't know it's not adding up again yeah and just took her and found her and reunited her with her family goodness so that i'm glad she's doing well yeah it takes a lot of strength doesn't it it does i, I imagine I can't imagine how hard all of that must have been. Yeah. On everyone, family as well. I mean, obviously, mostly for her. Yes. But, you know, I... Can you imagine finding out that she was so close to you that whole time? No. And that she'd been, like, in the library and you were on TV trying to bring it back? Yeah, that's... That's the trouble, isn't it? Like, the healing afterwards yeah. is just as hard as the... You know, for the, for the family, it's just as hard as the not knowing prior... Like, before yeah um i don't know i it's baffling isn't it like it is the amount of therapy that they all must need like i know i'm glad that she's doing well although it is sad that like that obviously will affect her life forever yeah. like when people go through this and then they become like spokespeople and they write books like it's wonderful and it gives a lot of hope to people and families that like may never find their child mm. Or, you know, we'll find them way later down the line. But also, like, you shouldn't have to be. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, this shouldn't have happened for her to become a spokesperson. Like, she should just be out there playing the harp and that should be it. Exactly. But I'm glad she was found. Yeah. That's wonderful. It is. Thank yeah. you for your story. You're welcome. Even though it was very sad. <laughs> it was sad, but there was a happy ending. Yeah, there is. So we can, you know, there's some hope in it. I wouldn't leave it on a sad note. Well, thank you for listening. If you want to give us a rating on iTunes and Spotify, please do. Please make it a good one or I'll cry myself to sleep. Thank you also so much to our Patreons. Sammy, Nikki, Charlotte, Siobhan W, Siobhan R, Sunshine, Emma, Sophie, Lexi, Nikki, Sam, Abigail, Ghostbirds Blue, Sorry, that's your name on there. <laughs> Retha, Kelly, Karen, Rose, Madison, Samantha, Rebecca, Erica, Crystal, Christopher, Daniel, Jesse, Val, Kendra, Alex, Casey, Natalie, Tamara, Christina, and Sheena. Wow, we have a lot of Patreons. We have a significant amount. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought there were like five of them. No. <laughs> Thank you for all of your support throughout this. Um, a lot of people have been here since 2020, so we really appreciate it. It is helping us fund everything and keep going. So we love you. Don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>